Father, that day um, may come sooner than we think. <laughs> that day when the eastern sky breaks open and the Son of Man comes to redeem his church and we will rise. Father, I just thank you for the testimony of your word and the testimony of that song that causes us to remember that because Jesus died and rose again, we too will rise again. Father, my prayer this morning is that each of us would experience the presence of Jesus, that we would know him and know his presence with us. Your promise is sure and it's true and it's this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And beyond that, he has promised that he is near to us. As we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And so that is my prayer today, Father. As we open the word of God now, we pray that this word would move among us as a people, that this word about servanthood would be in us and around us, and that we as God's church would rise to serve others, to serve the weak and the sick and the lonely, to serve those in our church, those in our community, and to serve as if we were serving Jesus himself. So bless us, Father, to that end, and may this word rest upon us and in us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Once again, I would like to... Uh, Welcome each and every one of you to uh, this series of messages that we've been doing called My Ebenezer. Now, an Ebenezer is a very weird word. We don't use it at all in our society, except when we're talking about Scrooge. And, uh, but in the Bible, Samuel the prophet, after God had done amazing miracles, planted a series of stones and he called it his Ebenezer. And what it was, and the word Ebenezer means literally a stone of help, okay? And it was to remember that God had helped the children of Israel in the past and that he would help them in the future. It was there to point the way, to indicate a path, to say this is the way to go. And so the Ebenezers that we've been looking at, the first Sunday, the first one was kind of the basis of everything we've done, is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. That is the standard, the foundation for our faith. And if you want to know which path to follow, which road to travel, if you want to know which way to go, the Word of God points us, and it always points us in the same direction, and that's to Jesus. Walk this way. And when we get off the path, God's love and His church is always calling us to bring you back onto the road. So the Word of God is the fundamental Ebenezer that points the way to righteousness and righteous living. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the Ebenezer uh, that we called connecting with the body of Christ. In other words, we need each other. We can't do this path alone. We can't do this journey alone. We can't do this life alone. We need each other. We need each other to work together, to worship together, to witness together. We need each other every day. We're better together. And when we have the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, we are able to stay on that road and travel well. So many people in our world say, well, I don't need the church, I just believe in God. Well, the Bible's very clear about that. It just doesn't work that way. You can't sever the body of Christ 
from the head of Christ, which is Jesus himself. So we need each other, and we need to be connected to each other. And then last week, we talked about the important Ebenezer, the pathway of growing deeper, growing in our faith, going deeper in who, wh- why we believe what we believe, and connecting to Jesus. We talked about grow, the acrostic, God's word, relationships, obedient living, and worship. We need each of those things. And the thing that we need most is a heart of passion for Jesus himself. That's what causes us to grow. Remember the pathway, the Ebenezer, always points the same direction, to Jesus. And here's the good news. It doesn't just point to Jesus. Jesus says, I will be with you on every step of the path. We're moving towards becoming more like Christ. And today's Ebenezer is one that I think is really exciting, and it's this. It's serving. We serve as God's people, and that's one of those things that always keeps us on the path of righteousness. People love to serve. I was telling uh, someone, I I think it was uh, Ron and Jill, they were having people sign up for the Serve of the Church Day on February 8th. And he said, man, we're getting a lot of sign-ups for just coming to church and working. I mean, it's exciting to go out in the community and serve, right? We do that, be the church. But serve the church, that's not quite as exciting. It's like cleaning your own bathroom. Nobody likes to do that. But we're going to come here, we're going to do some stuff on the inside, we're going to do a lot on the outside. And Ron was saying, you know what I love about our church is everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to serve. Everybody doesn't mind getting their hands dirty. So today we're talking about that pathway of service that really makes a difference. Now, Jesus came uh, to the idea of servanthood in a kind of different way, kind of an exciting way, but a different way. See, because most of the world says that greatness looks like anything except a servant. You know, the world says that greatness looks like um, that type A, get her done, lead from the top, CEO, industry mogul, charismatic, dynamic, take charge, wow kind of leader. That's what really meant. That's the kind of person that is the leader. That's the kind of person that is great. And we see those kind of leaders all the time, whether it be in politics, sports, even religion, uh, all movies, theater, all of those things. We see those people that are great, those kind of take charge people, right? But Jesus kind of flipped that on its head. He said, that's not how I define greatness. I define greatness a completely different way. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 20. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Now, all those take charge type of people are going, that's not what I do. I'm a leader. I'm a, you know, I'm this great thing. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held hostage. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, I didn't just come to the earth, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all things, with his word, all things coming to existence. That guy, that Jesus, that part of the triune God came to this earth and he said, I didn't come to be emulated and loved and adored. I came to serve. And he said, because I came to serve, I want you to experience the same kind of servanthood. In this passage, Jesus completely redefined greatness. A truly great man or a truly great woman is one who chooses to serve to bless, to put one's needs on hold in order to minister to another. 
Jesus says, this is an Ebenezer. This is the way to walk towards righteousness. Others have passed this way before. Jesus says, serve others as I has served you. So how does that fit your image of greatness? Really different, isn't it? Well, when I was uh, in college, actually my senior year of college, I uh, was finishing up my degree in engineering and I was, my life was pretty well set. I had a great job finishing up college. I'd met Sherry and 10 days later I asked her to marry me and of course she said yes. And so my life was going in the right direction. Everything was set, everything was in place. And it's during those days, those heady days, that I started feeling this kind of anxiety, uh, antsiness, uh, kind of stirring within my soul. And it happened before, but I kind of ignored it. But this was pretty bright and pretty loud. And I sensed in my spirit that God wanted me to go in the ministry. It didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense at all. Why would he wait until I was finished with college and had a career in place before he called me into the ministry? I went to a Youth for Christ rally. I took some high school kids there. Um, and that night, the speaker talked about knowing God's will. And when he did, I, I literally heard the voice of God impress upon my soul these words. Dwayne, I want you to serve me by being a pastor. Now, I knew my pastor. I knew how hard he worked and how little money he made. And it didn't look great at all to me. There was nothing about that lifestyle that looked great. In fact, I thought, oh man, God, can't I serve you from up on high, you know, as an engineer with good money and all of that? He said, no, for you, not for everybody, but for you, I want you to serve me by being a pastor. Well, as I said, I'd watched my pastor and I'd seen how hard, what hard work it was. And then a few years ago, I found this kind of a description of what a pastor does. Now, this is called a, a perfect pastor profile. Now, when I read this, try not think of me because I'm far from perfect. But listen to this perfect pastor profile. Maybe some of you have had this in your mind. He preaches exactly 15 minutes. Ouch, don't laugh so loud. You, I mean, 15 minutes is my introduction, right? He condemns sin but offends no one. Well, I offend somebody every week, you know. He works from 6 a.m. till midnight and is always there for his family. He does whatever is needed, including toilets and stacking chairs. I added that one. He makes $500 a week, wears the best clothes, drives a new car, and gives $600 a week to the poor in missions. He is 35 years old and has 25 years of preaching experience. He is, wonderful. he is wonderfully gentle, handsome, athletic, loves to work with teenagers, and spends countless hours with senior citizens. He plays shortstop for the softball team and knows how to fix the copier. He makes 20 calls a day at the hospital and shut-ins and is always in the office when needed. Now, that was the profile of a perfect pastor. That was put in the form of a chain letter, and here was the introduction to the chain letter. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send a letter with his name to six other churches who are fed up with their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. In one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors, and one of them should just be perfect for you. So can I say this? I'm blessed to be your pastor. Please don't send me away. Please. All kidding aside, it is an honor to be a pastor. It is an honor to serve you. And here's the thing for me. I am blessed to witness how you serve each other. 
I am blessed to see how many of you get your hands dirty, dig in, and serve others for the cause of the kingdom. Today, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to live a blessed life by serving the church and serving the world. This is our Ebenezer to serve as Jesus Christ served. Now, the best place to find this blessing of service is in one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn there. If not, you can use your iPhone, your iPad. It's in the sermon notes. It's also on the screen. Uh, our intention is to get every one of you surrounded by God's Word. This is our best way to do it. So let this soak into you, and I want to read the first verse of John chapter 13. And as you're hearing this word, just the first verse, I want you to listen to what God is saying. Verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus, listen to this verb, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus knew he was coming to the end of his ministry. He knew uh, deep in his soul about this crucifixion that was coming. He knew what was going to take place, and he was disturbed by that, but he was determined to serve you, to serve me. And he said, I want to show you the full extent of my love. That's what that verse means, to show you the full extent of my love. So Jesus just didn't talk about love. Would it be easy for him to come to earth and say, love everybody, you know, kumbaya, you know, drink Coke and love each other. You know, he could have done all of that, but he didn't do it. Instead, he, he did talk about love, but he said, let me show you what it looks like. Ultimately, he went to the cross and said, this is what ultimate love looks like, laying down your life for a friend, and you're the friends. He died for your sins on the cross. He died as if those sins were your sins on his shoulders. So that's what the Bible says. So he died for your sins. He loved you so much that he died for you that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's ultimate love. But along the way, every time they were doing ministry, every time Jesus was talking about love or about loving somebody, healing somebody, he always showed them. Jesus was very physical in his teachings. He always wanted to show them what it looked like to love, what it looked like to be great. And so we come to John 13. Let me read you verses 4 through 9. And this is the, 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 the heft of the story. Some of you know this story well. This is what happened beginning at verse number 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet all indignant? You know, like, oh, I would never have you do that. You know, Peter, big shot, right? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And as he sits proclaiming this, all the other disciples are looking, oh, look at how wonderful Peter is. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Well, Peter's conviction lasted about 10 nanoseconds, right? Oh, okay, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, uh, not just my feet. Now, Peter was all over that. What an amazing story. So Jesus is in the upper room with his 12 disciples. Judas was still with him at this point. He's up there. They're fellowshipping. Uh, they're having some food. A little bit later, they're going to have the Lord's Supper. They're going to break bread. But they're talking, and they're talking about the kingdom. 
And they had heard about the kingdom, and Jesus kept saying, you know, when the kingdom comes, everything's going to change. I'm going to make everything new. And some of the disciples thought, well, what that meant was that he was going to, uh, the, uh, Jerusalem was going to be given back to the Jews, and the Romans are going to be cast out. So he thought about all those things. So they're excited. The kingdom, they had seen him heal people. They had seen him change water to wine, all of these great miracles. And they couldn't hardly believe that they were going to be part of this transformation that they were going to see, and it's exciting, and they're talking about it. And over on the side, Peter, John, and James, the three kind of inner circle, they were kind of the three closest to Jesus. They were over there arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be at the right hand of Jesus? You know, I, you know, I, I know, John, you're, you're kind of special, but you're kind of young. You know, uh, James might have said, I'm, I'm the guy. You know, I, I'm, I should be the one at Jesus' right hand because, I, and Peter said, no, no, no. You know, I'll cut your head off if you say that again. You know, he, Peter was impetuous. And, no, I'm, no, I'm the guy. And everybody arguing who's going to be, and while they were arguing, this is great. You find this in another one of the Gospels. While they were arguing, Jesus got up from the table. And by the way, that's not an easy task. You see him kind of sitting in an armchair. No, no. They were lying down. That's how they used to eat. Lying down and, and like leaning on their arms like this. And so he had to get up from the table walked over, picked up a basin, poured some water in it, a towel, and it began to wash the disciples' feet. How lousy do you think they felt? I mean, here was the master of the universe, the savior of all mankind, the creator of the cosmos is washing their feet. And then here, on top of that, look what he says in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He's not just saying, you know what? I shouldn't have to do this. You guys should be doing this for me. He didn't say that. He said, no, no. You see what I've done here? I, I've served you and I do it with a full heart and I want to serve you. But do you see what I'm doing? I want you to do the same things. And if you do the same things, it's not that I'm going to like you more. Jesus said, no, you'll just be blessed. So how many of you, every time you serve, feel blessed? Now, don't raise your hands because that would probably be all of you. Every time you serve a neighbor, someone at church, setting up for Easter, uh, be the church day, every time you serve, you go away saying, you know what, I didn't really want to come today, I was tired, I, you know, I needed to do my own yard work, but I came to church and I served, and I feel so good that I did. You feel blessed. Isn't that beautiful? That's the word blessed. It's not just knowing something, it's doing something. It's serving. Now, so I want you to say, this is the interactive part of the sermon. I want you to say this out loud. I want you to say, I am a servant out loud. Okay, let's say it together. I am a servant. Now, turn to somebody next to you and say, I want to serve you. Okay, <laughs> now, that wasn't nearly as enthusiastic as the first one. You know, the first one, sure, everybody can say it. I'll say, oh, now you're looking at the person next to you. Maybe it's your wife, you know. Say, I want to serve you. You know, come on. But that's exactly what Jesus said. I, I, I want to serve you. I came to this planet to serve you. Now, uh, Jesus gave, in this story, Jesus gave, showed kind of several traits of what it means to be a servant. You have a servant's heart. And so let me just tick those off for you and go through those quickly this morning. The first thing you need to do in order to be a servant, to have a servant's heart, is you need to be aware. You need awareness. In other words, you need to pay attention. Um, I told you weeks ago that one of the definitions of worship is paying attention to God. Isn't that great? And G.K. Chesterton said, don't just think about God, think magnificently about God. So worship is paying attention to God. So is service. 
Service is paying attention to God. Now, you know the passage in Matthew 25. Jesus was saying to, you know, the goats and the sheep separated, the believers and the non-believers. And he said, those of you that you fed me and you clothed me and you took me out of prison. And they said, Jesus, when did we do that? When did we feed you and clothe you and take you out of prison? He said, well, and when you do it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you do it to me. Every time you serve someone, especially the underserved, right, the underprivileged, those who have no status, no place, whether it's a single mom or a pregnant teenager or an Arab in your neighborhood, somebody that is not ministered to, nobody's, you are to call, you're called upon to serve them. Isn't that beautiful? We are called, the way Jesus served, we are called to serve. But in order to do that, we have to be aware. So I, I watch you uh, every Sunday. I don't know if you know that. Um, I, I watch you, and, and here's what I see. Last Sunday, second service, uh, a mom, um, actually, first of all, one of the, one of the uh, child care workers uh, didn't show up and uh, didn't call, just forgot or something, or sick. Uh, and so Pastor Barb's scrambling, and while she's scrambling, uh, a young mom uh, that has uh, just been coming for a few weeks has a child in our children's ministry. She noticed that Pastor Barb was short a person. By the way, we have, we have to have two people in every room. That's the way we do it here, the way she does it. So we have a teacher and then a helper. So there's always two people in every room for every By the way, you need that. When you've got 12, 2, and 3-year-olds, you better have a, a wingman, right? So that's what was happening. But somebody didn't show. And so this young mother just been here a few weeks said, you know what, Barb, I'll do it. Now, she came, she pro- this is probably the one time in her week where she can come and get some relief and let somebody else watch the child and, and she can worship and be with the Lord. But she said, I'll do it. That's serving. And that's being aware. That's noticing. I, I see you noticing, whether it's uh, somebody uh, after first service. Now, you guys don't do that. You come in here and the church looks good and everything. But, you know, after first service, it's kind of a mess. I told them the first hour, they're kind of messy people. Coffee cups sitting, bulletins all scrunched up, you know, pens out and everything. Do you know who comes in and puts all that back together for you? Somebody's doing that. Somebody's serving you. Somebody's bringing in grapefruit from the parking lot. You go out, you rush out, and you help them carry that. There's all kinds of ways of serving each other. I love that of you. We have... um, Something that's, uh, that's really neat, as I mentioned earlier, that we have a layperson or a layman of the year award. And it used to be when we first started out in the, in the uh, shopping center, in the little mall, strip mall, I used to have one layperson of the year. And I'd always pick somebody, not an elder, not a leader, not a staff person, but somebody that's serving quietly, right? And so I'd pick out one. Some of you remember Neutron, uh, who's now gone to be with the Lord, knew his was a wonderful Vietnamese man who was saved and was in our church. And always somebody that was kind of under-noticed but over-serving. I love that about people. Well, tonight, there's four people that are going to be served, or that are going to be blessed, because we're going to identify them as those who serve with a quiet and a beautiful heart. A person that serves is aware. They notice they are looking. Have you ever noticed after service that everybody will kind of be in clusters talking, but new people are kind of off to the side, or maybe they're rushing out, or maybe they're off to the side talking to a child. Or and Notice these people. Notice these ones. Maybe some of them are sad or lonely or broken. Maybe they didn't have the courage to come up to the altar team, but they would love for you to come over and say, hey, can I pray for you? Can, can I, is there something going on that I can help you with? Or Any number of things. Notice. Be aware pay attention. That's what Jesus did. 
he noticed that nobody else was serving the disciples. Nobody else. Now, normally when you would come into a room, whether it's a home or any room, it was always required by the owner of that space, always required that there would be a servant there to wash feet because it was disrespectful to enter a room, any kind of a room, with your feet dirty. And so there should have been a servant there, but there wasn't. And as soon as somebody, the first person to step over that threshold noticed that there wasn't a servant there, they should have washed their own feet and then maybe started washing the feet of the others coming in. Nobody noticed. The disciples are all so busy about talking, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the best? They were so busy doing that, they failed to notice that someone needed to serve them. That's what Jesus did. He noticed. He was aware. The second thing we need to do is take action. You know, it's not enough to notice. You know, I think you know that. You're smart enough to know that, right? Not enough to be aware. Oh, I'm aware of a need over there. God, help somebody go over there and help them. No, you go over there and help them, you know. You do it. Take action. The Bible says, so he got up from the table. Jesus got up and he moved. There's time to sit and fellowship. That's good. We all love that. And there's a time to get up and serve. Uh, there was, um, last time we had a Be the Church, which is in October. Those of you who are new, we do this twice a year. It's called Be the Church. Everybody comes to the church on Saturday, and instead of, being, instead of coming to church or worshiping at church, we go out and we are the church in the community. So we'll go all over to places of need and Chandler, and we'll minister to the community in the name of Jesus. Well, we did that. After it was over, we come back here, and Tom Ryan graciously provides lunch free of charge. And he's doing that again for Serve the Church Day. Don't forget Tom's Barbecue that day. And so we're there eating. There was over 100 of us. We were eating, telling stories. This is what happened. This is cool. We got to serve. As we were doing that, um, Drew Pollard, is Michelle over there? Yeah. Drew Pollard, I know Brian's in Chicago. Drew Pollard comes around with his cart collecting dirty plates. Now, I'm sure his parents put it up to, up, him up to it, but the fact is they're training and teaching a five-year-old boy what it means to serve. And he was so cute. And he, are you done yet? Well, my plate's half full, Drew. Leave me alone, you know. So come back later, you know. No, but he was so cute and so precious, and he wanted to help and serve. And I love that, to serve one another. We need to serve. We need to take action. So um, back in the day, uh, back in 2000, 2001, 2002, most of 2002, we were in the strip mall. You've heard that story. And uh, over by Florodino's, uh, almost school in Galveston. And where the Crisis Pregnancy Center is, that used to be Hope Covenant Church. And that's where I came in uh, July of 2000. And that was our church. And we were always looking for ways to serve the community to let people know that we were here, we were be a presence, and we wanted people to know that we loved them and we cared for them. We were delivering the gospel by love, right? So we take water bottles to Fourth of July stuff. We do all kinds of things. We go to the di different stores around the strip mall and ask them if we could clean their toilets, and most of them were aghast that we would ask, but we were serious. And so we do all these things. So after a while, we were starting to get a little bit of traction, and we're getting more people, and then we came to the point of, okay, now what are we going to do? Well, we, we can't stay in the strip mall forever. It's, we're kind of outgrowing it. What do we do now? And so there was a lot of talk. We need to, uh, we, they, we, they had already purchased this property, or at least the conference had helped them purchase this property. So it was sitting here full of weeds, and the neighbors didn't like that very much. And uh, so that was that. Was, what do we do? Now we're no longer 35 people, but we're 65 people or 
85 people. What do we do? And so we decided that we needed to take a step of faith. And so we asked our denomination, who is our lender, National Covenant Properties, and they said, yes, we'll loan you the money to build the building if you make three things happen. You have a membership of 80, which we were way off of that, regular attendance of 140, and a capital fund drive of 250,000 over three, three years. And if you do that, we'll loan you the money to build this building. Okay, so within like six months after they told us that, we had met all three of those goals. Okay, so I remember that congregational meeting that we were talking about this. We've met our goals, we have the money, and people are going, oh, and they say, okay, and, and one person said, well, okay, they're going to loan us the money, who's going to pay for it? You know? <laughs> and, and so we look around, there's a few of us in there like that, and we say, oh man, we can't afford it, that's way too much, we got to make the building smaller, and now we wish we had made it bigger, and oh, you know, we're all that, and finally Herb Stromquist, a guy, then he was in his 80s, now he's in his 90s, still living in Mesa, wonderful brother in Christ, Herb Stromquist stood up and he said, you know what, we've been talking about this, he said, we got to get going. Let's do it. We just got to get going. Everybody kind of looks around each other. Okay, let's do it. And, you know, a year later, we were in this building. Five years later, we had grown to 300. Ten years later, we'd grown to 500. And God is doing it. And today, the mortgage is under a million dollars for the first time ever. It's like $908,000. And that sounds like a lot of money. But believe me, it sounds a lot better than $1.5 And we say, thank God for that. Because we didn't just think about it. We didn't just notice that we needed a place to worship. We didn't just say, well, if we had a bigger place, we could reach people for... We didn't just think those things. We did it. And all of those people that did those things, you're here on their backs. And we thank God that they served you. And we now get to serve the next generation. We get to serve your neighbors and the people you work with, the people that you bring to Hope Covenant Church that give their hearts to Christ. We get to serve them. Isn't that exciting? I love this stuff. So we need awareness. We need action. The next thing we need, this won't feel quite as good. The next thing we need is humility. The text tells us that Jesus stooped down. Let's let that sink in for a minute. The creator of the cosmos, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who snapped his fingers and brought creation into existence. He stooped down to serve his disciples. I love that. As soon as you think you're hot stuff, <laughs> as soon as you think you're great, as soon as you think you are, you should, people should be serving you and bowing down to you, you think about what Jesus did and what he is still doing for you as he loves you and serves you and blesses you. We need to serve each other with humility. Now, I had some good training in that when I was growing up. Uh, first of all, my father was one of those fathers um, that thought that uh, children should never be idle. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, that's right. You had some of those fathers too. And so I, was, I learned from a kid, I had to work all the time. And also because we were very involved in our church, my parents made sure that we knew what it meant to serve the church. If there was a work day, we were there. If there was something to do, they were there. I was teaching sixth grade boys Sunday school class when I was in ninth grade. Now, we had a church of 80 people, so everybody had to pitch in. But I learned what it meant to serve early on. I remember our uh, pastor, his name was Pastor Woodhouse. Um, when I told him that I had these kind of stirrings, this is even before my senior year in college, back when I was in high school, I had these stirrings that 
I didn't know if God wanted me in ministry or not, and I, I wasn't really sure. He said, well, would you like to kind of shadow me on a particular day uh, during the summer when you're out not in school? Shadow me and see what I do during a day, see what a pastor does. He said, I'd love to do that. I thought, oh, this is awesome, you know. I get to be kind of a junior pastor. And so I put on my tie, you know, my skinny 1960s tie, and I was looking really good. I came to the church, and I said, Pastor, what else? What do you, what's the first thing you want me to do? He handed me a bucket. He said, I want you to clean the toilets. I said, really? He said, I said, well, why do you want me to clean the toilets? He says, because that's what I do on Mondays. You're going to clean the toilets. And so, I did. so I, right there, my idea of being a pastor was brought down to a real level of humility. Well, I got a real dose of humility later on uh, that same year. Uh, I was a senior in high school. I just graduated. I was a freshman. Now I was in college. And we used to minister down at the City Rescue Mission. And it was a little small place in San Diego downtown, and churches, local churches, would take one night a month, and they would come, and they would preach, and sing, lead the service, and then people that had enough courage to stay through the service, the, you know, the, the men and women, mostly men back in those days that came, they got to be fed a meal, right? So they had to sit through usually a boring sermon and boring music, but they got a meal. So we were there. It was our turn. Pastor Woodhouse didn't want to preach. He said, Dwayne, you preach. I said, I don't know how to preach. And Pastor Woodhouse didn't say this, but he could have said this, neither do I. Uh, uh, he said, just open the Bible and start talking, because that's the way he preached. Okay, well, that's a whole other story. So I opened the Bible, and I started preaching, and about halfway through it, some drunk in the back of the building stood up, and he said, you're full of you know what, and you fill in the blank. He didn't say blank, and he said it loud and clear and strong, and just like an evangelist, and everybody just froze in there, you know. What do we do? Pastor Woodhouse says, keep preaching, keep preaching. I don't want to. Somebody knows about me. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> he, he, knows, he, he knows me. You know, he knows who I am. And, and, but, but so, humility. There's better ways of being humbled, but in my case, it had to be a hard lesson. We need to approach our service with the sense of humility, that I'm doing this as if I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm giving this cup of cold water. I am pulling these weeds. I am cleaning this toilet. I am baking cookies for, for this. I'm setting up for Easter. I'm doing all of these things because I'm doing them for Jesus. I love that, humility. And the last thing we need in order to serve with a heart that is humble, a humble heart, is a willingness to get messy. A willingness to get messy. Because you know what, friends? Um, ministry is not middle class. And it's always messy. And sometimes the higher you go up in the socioeconomic levels, the messier it gets, believe it or not. Because usually then there's all kinds of things involved in terms of drugs and everything else. But ministry is messy. We had a, a man in our church who's fairly new to our church. Uh, about two months ago, uh, he heard of somebody that was having a rough time and he talked to him at work and said, um, you know, you look like things are going rough. Uh, do you want to talk? And the guy confessed that he was an alcoholic. Actually, he didn't confess that. He confessed that he drinks too much. Beware of somebody who says, I drink too much. And yet, they can't label themselves an alcoholic. And he said, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, my family's left me. My wife won't talk to me. My kids hate me. I need help. And this man in our church, even though he didn't know him, he said, I'll walk with you in this. And he has for the last two weeks. This guy has no other friends. He's burned all of his other friends. But this Christ follower said, I'm not going to enable you. I'm going to call a spade a spade. But in the middle of the night, if you need to talk to somebody, you call me. Don't call me if you're drunk. You can talk to yourself if that's the case. But if, if you're sober and you're thinking about drinking, you call me. And I'll come over there. We'll talk. And he has gotten his hands 
messy, his heart messy, his feet messy because he has decided that he would serve this man. That's how the gospel is brought to this world. Because every situation you find, you'll find underneath it some messiness. Jesus did that all the time. When he talked to the, he was walking on a road, a road he shouldn't have been on, by the way. Jesus was always walking on roads he shouldn't have been on. And he was on this road, and it got too near the leper colony. The lepers in those days, they, you know, like that, what's that one uh, island in Hawaii used to be a leper colony? Molokai. And that, I mean, you say, that's weird. Well, it wasn't. You know, even 100 years ago, there were leper colonies all over the world, right? So in Jesus' day, there's this leper colony because if you had leprosy, there's no cure. And if you got near them, you didn't even have to touch them. You could even breathe and you could even get near them and you could get leprosy. So people stayed away. They pushed them away. Jesus walked too close to this leper colony. Yeah, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He went too close to them. And the Bible says, this is great in the Gospels, the Bible says that when he came to the leper colony, this is the exact words, he drew near. Isn't that amazing? You and I run away screaming. Ah, not me. He drew near. The Bible says that he brought to them the healing power of the Holy Spirit all of them were transformed. All of them were healed. All of them went running off, yippee-skippy, were so happy. One of them came back and said to Jesus, from the bottom of my heart, with all I have and all I ever have, I will serve you and follow you. Thank you for healing me. Jesus got messy all the time. The woman taken in adultery, a woman that deserved, according to the um, uh, Abrahamic law, a woman that deserved to die. In fact, it was required that she be stoned to death. And they didn't stone to death people with pebbles. They took half pound to one pound stones. And that's what they used to stone people to death with. So gathered around this woman that was caught in adultery or a, a, a gaggle of men, uh, that all men, and all leaders, all smart, all educated, all religious, all well-dressed, standing around with their rocks in their hands, just waiting for the, the, the signal, let's, let's do this. This filth has uh, hurt our community, and they're thinking about that. And Jesus came in part of the crowd. He said, oh, this is an interesting situation. He said, okay, any one of you that has never sinned, you be the first one to throw the stone. Whoa. <laughs> one by one, they kind of dropped their stones and they kind of backed away and pretty soon they were all gone and Jesus said to her, um, do, do you know what, dear? Do, do you know what? And of course she had no idea. She was terrified. She said, condemn you. Wow. Can you imagine that? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Don't stay in this life. This is a dead end. You're going to hurt yourself and hurt everybody else. So he, he wasn't saying this was a good lifestyle. It was terrible. He said, but you are not condemned. Go and sin no more. Jesus was always in a place where there were messy people. One of the things that characterizes Hope Covenant Church from day one is that we're a messy church. You are messy people. And I'm not talking about leaving your coffee cups on the pew seats. Your lives are messy. Every single one of you. I don't know some of you, but my guess is so are you. You wouldn't be at a church that declares publicly no perfect people allowed and declares publicly that we are a broken mess. But Jesus comes into the messiness. He redeems it. He saves it. He declares, you are my child and I am your God. We need to be people who reach out with hands that are willing to get dirty because Jesus said, I'll go to the cross for your sins. That's what we need, friends. We need those kinds of servants. 
Jesus said, this is what I do. You've seen me do this with you, washing your feet, so you do likewise. It's the heart of a servant. That's what Jesus did for you and what you're called to do for others. Someone recently asked me, he said, Dwayne, do you have a hard time asking people to serve? And I said, are you kidding? I love that. I'm not asking people to do a task when I ask them to serve, whether it's on a committee or become an elder or to set up chairs for Easter, to be the church, to make cookies, to set up coffee. I don't, I don't ask them because a task needs to be done. Yes, of course, they need to be good. But I ask them because I am asking them to participate in, with God in changing the world. So how can that happen with making coffee? Well, figure it out. You know exactly what that means. Somebody else isn't doing it, so somebody else, somebody else is doing it, so you're in here enjoying the coffee and enjoying the worship. God says, I want you to participate with me in changing the world. Sometimes it's changing toilet paper. Sometimes it's making coffee. Sometimes it's sharing Christ with a friend. Sometimes it's inviting them to Easter. But it's all participating in serving the living God. Is that an amazing thing? I love to invite you to serve because I know how it will affect your life. And let me read you just one email of one woman who sent me this email shortly, just a little while ago. And this is a reflection of what many of you have said. Listen to this. Dear Pastor Dwayne, a year ago, you challenged me to serve in the church and in my neighborhood. I was hesitant, but you persisted. Now I can't thank you enough. The significance I feel, the relationships I've gained, the spiritual growth I've experienced is all because I saw Jesus as a model to serve and I got in the game. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And then she signed it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, you now have seen me serve you. You will be blessed to do these things. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, what a joy it is to serve you. And it's not just a joy, it's, you, you've called it a blessing. So, yeah, we get things done, but more than that, Father, we receive the blessing of God when we serve others, especially when we offer them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. When we offer them a loving, encouraging word in Jesus' name. When we offer an enemy um, the olive of peace, an olive branch of peace instead of shame. When we offer someone that has hurt us forgiveness when we offer someone who lives in the ghetto or in that worst part of Chandler an opportunity to have their house cleaned. Father, when we do these things and do them in your name, we know that we are being like Jesus. Lord, that's my desire. Through these Ebenezers that we call our stones of remembrance, those things that point the way to righteous living and righteousness, serving each other as you have served us is something we can experience and do. Thank you, Father, for this church. Thank you for their hearts. I am blessed to be their pastor, and I am blessed to see them serve you so faithfully. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks from today, we're having a uh, ministry fair. And we're going to put all of our ministries out on tables, and we're going to invite, we're going to cut the service so short, shorter. Um, the, we, the reason we're doing that is I'm not going to preach. Uh, Brandon is. We're going to make the service shorter, and we're going to let you out uh, earlier and go out and look at all the ministry tables. 
and see, and maybe some of you are already too busy doing too many things, and we respect that, but we want you to see areas where you can serve the Lord faithfully. Well, another way to serve the Lord faithfully is by giving in our tithes and our offerings. If you are new today, this is your first time here, please do not reach for your wallet or your pocketbook. Our gift to you is this service. Everyone else, we ask you to give generously and sacrificially to the work of the Lord. Ushers, if you will, please come forward.